Welcome to the Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of Where Am I Giving, a global adventure exploring how to use your gifts and talents to make a difference. And I can hear it in my ears that Jay Mormon's holding his microphone, and he's right here in the room with me. Welcome, Jay. Hey, Kelsey. Yep, it's me. Welcome to my office. Noises and all. Yeah, it's beautiful in here. I like the hot tub. It's nice. <laughs> the hot tub. Oh well, um, Jay, are you a are you a no white savior? Are are you a white savior? Are, <laughs> a no white savior. It depends on who I'm saving, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, today we have a guest that is uh, started no white saviors with Kelsey Nielsen, who we talked to from episodes but thirteen and fourteen. 13, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good conversation. Pretty challenging stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very much so yeah she uh yeah well we'll see but it's really it was a good interview yeah. and so kelsey nielsen was episode 13 14 and this we're gonna be chatting with olivia alasso who is actually ugandan so kelsey is from philadelphia right and um olivia was uh is a social worker and Kelsey had a job overseeing Olivia, even though Olivia had more experience. Right. And so this is kind of both of their journeys to start to see how like the NGO world worked and how there was inequalities and right. things like that. And you had people in positions that maybe that weren't really earned, um, especially compared to the local Ugandans. Right. And you had people sometimes doing things that they weren't supposed to do at all. Right, right, yeah. There's um, one of the people that Kelsey, Kelsey Nielsen talked about was a woman named Renee Bach. And Renee um, was a 20-year-old from Virginia who went over on a mission, which we've talked a lot about, mm-hmm. missions, and they they kind of take a beating today, too. Yeah, um, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and so I, I actually, one of my favorite websites I don't know if I've ever sent you a link to this website before, is NPR's Goats and Soda, where they hmm. talk about no. aid and development. Okay. So they wrote a little bit about Renee Bach. And so Olivia talks about Renee Bach a little bit. And she, because remember, she just got done with like a five hour interview with someone else talking about this Renee yeah. Bach. Thing. And then she got to us, right? Yeah. And yeah. So she still has tons of energy. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how. A lot. Yeah. 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 yeah, I talked. I talked for an hour, and then I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go exhausted. Take a nap. Yeah, yeah. And so she was like, hour six, talking to yeah. uh, Schmuck. And she was going from there to something else, but yeah. So neither with uh, Kelsey. Kelsey Nielsen got into it a little bit, the Renee Bach thing, but uh, Olivia um, just says her name. So I thought maybe before we get into Olivia's interview. I would kind of bring everyone up to speed on what this Renee Bach thing is because it really leads in well to our interview with Olivia. Yes, great. All right. So this is from Goats and Soda. Some of it I'll read some of it. I'll skim some of it. So 10 years ago, Renee Bach left Virginia, and she set up a charity to help children in Uganda. So one of her first moves was to start a blog chronicling her experience. So among the most momentous of her blog posts, it was on a Sunday morning, October 2011, a couple from a, a village some distance away showed up at Box Center carrying a small bundle. And this is a quote from her blog. When I pulled the covering back, my eyes widened. 
for under the blanket lay a small but very, very swollen, pale baby girl. Her breasts were frighteningly slow. The baby's name is Patricia. She is nine months old. So, end quote. So, Bach went on to write that Patricia had fallen sick three weeks earlier, but her parents had been unable to find anyone closer to home who could cure her. So then Bach writes, one of their relatives told them about a hospital with a white doctor. So she would be the white doctor. Ouch. But she's not a doctor. But she is white. She is white. That's the, yeah, quite a qualification there. Right. Uh, Except Bach was not a doctor. She was a 20-year-old high school graduate with no medical training. And not only was her center not a hospital, at the time it didn't employ a single doctor. So yet from uh, 2010 through 2015, Bach says she took in 940 severely malnourished children, and 105 of them died. Wow. And so now she's being sued in Ugandan court. Yeah, was it, was it, uh, that's so, wow, that's disturbing. So I wonder if it was they got the one kid there, so people just started bringing kids, and she's saying... I'll take them, or I don't know what to do with these kids. I mean, how, that that's that's a lot of people to bring in, especially when they're on the edge of starvation and death, to feel like you could do anything without IV fluids and medical expertise. White is not a qualification for anything. So the fact that she herself thought that she was capable of doing this as well, as opposed to the local people. Right. I think speaks a little bit to the no white savior complex. Right. Because nobody else would know how to do it there because nobody else was white. Right. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I mean, we're speculating. I'm guessing course. she never thought that, but deep seated it within her. Right. Right. Like, yeah. I think that was the truth. Yeah. Right. Like, well, who else is going to do something around here? Yeah. I guess it's got to be me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's more. Um, so here's a quote from her blog. Still, I hooked up the baby. I hooked the baby up to oxygen and got to work. She took her temperature, started an IV, checked her blood sugars. She tested for malaria and looked at her uh, HB count, hemoglobin in blood. That's what that means. Uh, so she was attempting to diagnose the many problems that could potentially be at hand. So malaria, she was positive for malaria. HB32, I don't know that is a big problem, most likely fatal. She needed a blood transfusion, and she needed one fast. So next, Bach wrote, we, and they're not sure who the we was, um, started a blood transfusion for Patricia. So how does she know how to, I mean, I couldn't do this off the street. How did she even know how to do those things? Uh, we'll get to that. Google. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. It's Google. It's Google. (laughs) Really? So like for me last night, I bought a new, a a new, I was trying to reprogram my garage door. Uh I use Google to how do you reprogram? That's okay. You can't kill a garage door. I know. Okay. Right. So like, th- so she just. I might drop this. my mic and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> you finish. I'm going home. What? Oh, uh, um, yeah. So let's see here. Uh, so about thirty minutes later, Patricia seemed to take a turn, like for the worse. So her neck and face started swelling. Her breathing went from bad to worse. Her throat was beginning to close. So that's about the moment uh, Bot called. Um, one of the nurses that worked there who were, were it was, I think it was like a night and the nurse wasn't there. So she called her on the phone and asked if she could swing by the center. So this is the quote from the nurse whose name is Crom, Crom last name is Cromlick. So she says, so I walk in and there's this child swollen 
wheezing. And so she said she could see the blood still being transfused into Patricia's veins. And Bach goes, you know, I think she might be having a reaction. But I don't know. Because, you know, Google says <gasps> that if they're having a reaction, they'll have a rash. And I don't see a rash. So Kromick says that um, that was often the case. It was clear to her that Bach was the one making the medical decisions. And in this instance, she says none of the other s- staff nurses were even at the center. When you had a 20-year-old high school graduate with no medical training wow. trying to do a blood transfusion. So this is Kromick again. She says it's just horrifying. Um, in Uganda, just as in the U.S., only a medical professional is permitted to perform invasive procedures like a blood transfusion. She says her thought at that moment was, this isn't a game. You have no business running blood at all. So thankfully, Patricia lived. They drove her to an actual hospital where she received actual proper care medical treatment and so um and so i'll skip through the article a little bit and here's someone that made a kind of a comment on on this story uh her name's uh lawrence gostin who's the head at the center of national and global health law at georgia georgetown university so she said just think of the i don't know if lawrence could be a man too i have no idea I'm a, I'm a dude named Kelsey. Could be, yeah. I'm just so, yeah. like, uh, yes, whoever uh, Lawrence is. Um, so just think of the arrogance. Who are you to assume that you can do better than they can? It's not your judgment call to make. So Gostin adds that while the circumstances of Bach's case may seem exceptional, he sees her actions as stemming from an attitude many Americans bring to developing countries. And this is a quote. The American cultural narrative is that these countries are basket cases. And so, says Gosson, Americans assume that whatever their qualifications, they're sure to be of help. I yeah, th- that's almost the definition of the white savior complex, right? I stayed a Holiday Inn last night. Let's do some surgery. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. The result, Gosson says, is that everyone from college kids to credentialed doctors routinely parachute into poor countries for medical missions that completely disregard local laws and conditions. This is a quote. People think that they're doing good, and they have no idea how much harm they can cause. And people back home in the U.S. are com- are complicit because um, when these volunteers write blogs or post videos to share their exploits, they're celebrated. Right. So even if you're not on the front lines, you're the 20-year-old performing the medical procedure you shouldn't be performing – Many of us see our friends go off to places and do things, and, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, Look at the sacrifice you're making. Yeah. Yeah, well, and we talked about that a little bit with Kelsey, that you're kind of building that that the street cred or the church cred or whatever organization is part of, not limited to churches, I suppose, that you might be over there doing something, and, and those sorts of activities and those those places that, you know, it's hard to get to and people don't look like you and you're building credibility about, I mean, you've had some of that to you. Like Kelsey, it's so great. You're there. And you said, why? I'm just here. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't do, I didn't do anything. I I'm didn't not, do it. I'm, I'm listening. Helping anybody. I'm writing stuff down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm just taking notes here, folks. Yeah. Um, so I, this, Olivia offers a really interesting perspective. So with Kelsey, we had someone that kind of became aware. I had this awakening of, she grew up in the church, and she grew up doing missions, and and had this awakening to how she was part of this system of what people would call the white savior complex. Right. 
And Olivia grew up in Jinja in Uganda where there were a lot of white people who were there to help and were there on vacations. Um, and, you know, she talks about those experiences. So she's kind of the opposite end like growing up mm-hmm. and seeing the white people that come over. So right. I'm really excited for folks to listen to Olivia. She has a, a fantastic perspective on the white savior complex. So let's get to it. Uh, Olivia Lasso, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm happy. Thank you for hosting me and thank you for um, having me on this podcast. Yes. I'm looking forward to um, interacting with you guys. Yeah, we are too. I've been looking forward to this for a while. And of course, uh, we're joined by Jay here. Hi, Olivia. Good morning. Or afternoon for you, I suppose. Yes, it's afternoon in Uganda, actually. Yeah, yes. good to um, get to chat and talk um, and discuss a few issues with you guys. So I'm just happy to, to that I'm, I'm gladly meeting Jay and um, I'm happy and I'm looking yep. forward to a very good discussion. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So what, what does your day look like today? Where are you now and where are you going to end up? Uh, well, I, I, I'm in Kampala. And I will be going to Jinja um, after this podcast recording. Um, Jinja is where I grew up from. That's like my hometown. So it's just a two hours from here. And my day has been a little bit busy because since morning, I've had this long interview and it lasted like five hours or six. So yeah, but wow. I'm cool. I'm fine with it. Like a, a media interview? Or like a um, job interview. I think it's a it's a podcast interview, but it involves like um, the the Renee backstory. So it was a long one, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Five hours. Whew. And we're just adding so. to that. So <laughs> thank you for joining us. That's another. Here's another hour for you. Yeah. So yeah, uh, when you um, so are you your workday is almost done? Then you're going to just uh, go to Jinja to visit family. Um, uh, well, I'm going to visit family, and then tomorrow I'll also head to the field. have some work there. I have some field work to do, so um, I will, um, much as I'm visiting family, I will go to the field tomorrow to do some okay. more, um, yeah, some more work. And, and what does that work look and, like? Um, I think this work is more of get, going into the community and talking to them and um, creating the awareness around the white savior complex and, um, and getting the views from people and what they feel because this, is, this process is like a continued process. It doesn't, you don't wake up one day and you say that you have finished this journey. It's, um, it's a continuous thing that we shall continue to do even when we leave there'll be other people taking it over it's not that we are the final people to the solution no this is just a journey that we're moving through and then at one point other people will take over from us yeah so yeah so can you tell me yeah. a little bit so you know i i um came across you and your work when you teamed up with kelsey nielsen 
to form No White Saviors, um, and that, there's others involved as well. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what No White, no White Saviors is and kind of the yeah. mission on top mm-hmm. of that work. Please. Uh, well, um, uh, No White Saviors um, matches some people sometimes feel that um, the name itself is a bit uh, weird. Um, we started with a hashtag that no more white saviors and that's how it built and then we came to instagram so uh, basically our work with the no white saviors is to educate advocate for better practices in mission and development work and also to partner with organizations that are led by ugandans or black people and to also um um uplift like the these organizations through um letting the world know that Black people or Ugandans or African people can lead these organizations. Um, much as in the past, it has been different. When a Ugandan opens up an organization, it's, 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 um, it's termed as substandard. They can't do the work. So most of the time, it was in a direction that white people are the best at this game. So um, we want our people to be lifted. And we want to show the world that... Um, African people, Ugandans, can stand on their own and can actually lead these organizations by themselves because they also know what their people need on the ground and it's upon them to uh, give them, to deliver the services to the community because we are the same people and um, um, services needed in these places. So that is what No White Savior does. And also uh, challenging the White Savior Complex using our platform, um, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and um, through, like literature, radio stations. So it's, it's all about uh, using media to create this awareness. Um, yeah, and also to, um, um, I think basically this is what we are doing right now. But with time, I'm sure as we grow, there will be other things that we that are in the pipeline. But for now, this is what we're doing. Yeah, you know, I think something that's really interesting when when I come came across your work and just you know think about your work, um, I often think about hmm. uh, my. I think it's a very selfish perspective. Myself being educated, right? I feel like no white saviors. Your you guys um, are educating uh, current white saviors, potential white saviors, the media about what savior, what saviorism looks like. But something I think I thought have thought less mm. of, and was like the work that you're going mm. to go do tomorrow. Like you're you're going into your community mm. and you're educating um, Ugandans about white saviorism. I, and I, I guess I never really thought yeah. of that angle. So it's there's like these multiple tiers, right? You have you have the media, you have the, the, the uh, Western maybe media and, and potential yeah. white saviors or white savers. But then you also have the people who are kind of, um, um, you know, victimized, exposed to, I've seen uh, white saviorism. So what, is, what does that approach look like when you're yeah. walking around tomorrow in the community? What is that educational process? What will you say to people? Um, well, when we walk into the community, we, in most cases, we first get the views of what our people think uh, about the white people. 
And uh, to be honest, in most cases, they'll tell you when we see a white person, we've seen, that means there's something good coming. And I don't blame our people, but this is what we've been, um, this, this, this is the idea that we've carried since, even if I was, no, I was a kid, when I saw a white person, I'm like, oh, yes, they're here, probably they've brought sweets for us. So this is what we um, all knew, that being white was right. And being right, uh, white brought good things alone. Okay. Yeah. So I first get to hear from what the community thinks. And um, because this is how our people think on the different uh, interactions with, with, with the, our people, you find that they still have this ideology that white is right. And, um, and I don't blame them for that because this has come away from the colonial times where um, whiteness has been glorified, washed. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I don't blame them. So the whole process starts from them um, um, discussing what they think about it. Mm. And that is when now we get into breaking the complex by trying uh -huh. to explain to our people that everything that comes your way is not good. Oh, everything, yep. everything that's white is not perfect or good. And now this is when you get um, the different responses from people saying, oh, I actually didn't know. I, I didn't know that there are white people who, who don't get degrees from universities. I didn't know that there are white people who suffer poverty. I didn't know there are white people who are going through like the same situation like us. So I'm mm. trying to um, get what they think and then breaking it down to them and saying, look, um, when white people come to Africa, it's not that they don't have poverty back home. They do. They're homeless people in America. There are homeless people everywhere in the world. So you need to understand this. And this is like a process of learning. It's, um, it is not something that someone would uh, take in a day. It's processing. Yeah, they yeah. get to process it. They begin to reflect it. They begin to think about it. And also, um, the next visit you go, they will have a different view. And I think... That doesn't stop there, but they'll keep on preaching the gospel to, <laughs> to the other people in the community. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that, that. yeah that's, and that's really insightful, Olivia. And, and Kelsey and I were talking about um, just the sort of training that we've almost done. Because, yeah, when a group comes to Africa, to some country in Africa, there's always some um, probably well-intentioned reasons for the visit, right? But we... We have taught groups of people right through the colonial, you're exactly right, colonialism all the way through till now, this sort of mindset mm. about what, what the perception of a white person is and what they're there to bring. And Kelsey's got a good story to relate about that, that where he's seen this mm. happen. Um, and, you know, sitting in the United States, uh, this has happened to me a bunch over the past many years, especially as social media got there, as people post pictures of those visits and and despite what their outcomes are, people say it's so good that you were went to that country to help those people. Um, mm. I don't know that they knew really what it was. It's the contrast of seeing a white person there. And even in the United States, mm. we feel like we've done something um, good. And social media has just made that bigger, as you know, because you, you 
create that white savior complex and even one picture says a thousand words. What would you say to someone who's, who's coming down there to do something good? How, how do they, how do they help to, to make sure that what they're creating, what they're bringing is something sustainable rather than like you said, bringing sweets as a metaphor? Oh yeah. Um, I think that's, that one is a very good question. Um, I think people, I think the first step is that people who want to visit, let me first begin with people who want to visit Africa, they mm -hmm. should get to know a little bit of the history of Africa. Mm. They should get to know that when, when you come to Africa, you're going to meet people, human beings, people with feelings, people who can feel hurt, okay? People who feel, um, um, people who can reason. People and and also having this in mind that if I can't do something at home, then I shouldn't do it in Africa simply because they need the help. And, um, mm -hmm. and three, people should come with, I think it is now, um, time is out. People coming on this um, like um, short mission trips. I think this, um, this, has, this has to stop in my assessment. People should come with a skill to offer Africa. Right. If you're coming yeah. in and yeah, if you're coming in and you're doing good, you're meaning good, you want to help support, invest in the organizations led by Africans. Okay. Mm. Stand aside and just witness their history. Don't be part of the African history. If you're not just stand aside and witness people rewrite their own history. I think that is really important. And also, um, like, um, Men like contributing to the uh, growth in leadership of African-owned organizations is very important because it, it, it's, it's, um, it's one way of um, killing dependency from Western aid. Because mm -hmm. if you're just going to say, people, we are giving, I, I want to help, but I will help that organization led by a Ugandan and I will stand aside, probably maybe receive a newsletter, or something like that, and see how they're progressing. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be like, people don't need to feel that. I think people get it wrong in so many occasions when they're like, okay, I need to do something good in Africa. But at the end of the day, when we see, Jay, when you begin this work in your community back in America, it's very, very, very appreciated. People should begin in their communities to do this work and then spread the love elsewhere because mm -hmm. that will be that you will stand up and say that I started a project back home and it is really doing good. I want to spread my module to Africa. That will be very nice because even people in your area are, co are, are like happy. Um, I mean, see that as um, a big opportunity. Let me ask you, how many homeless people need like a shelter or need clothing in America? There's so many, but you bypass those ones and you get to the next plane to Africa. But really, those guys also need the love. Mm -hmm. They need the supplies. They mm -hmm. need the medicine, you know, but everyone is um, fighting to come to Africa and do something good because come way back the way Africa has been portrayed, it has been portrayed as a continent that needs saving all the time, that needs help, that needs, you know, um, that is in need of, um, actually I continue saying saving, 
You know, there's nothing good that Africa offers, but it needs the Western aid all it the needs, time. Yeah. It, it needs saved. Yeah. It needs fixed. Exactly. But there are problems back home that are not fixed. Mm-hmm. In just in at your doorstep, just if, like a uh, hundred meters from your house, there's a of man course. sitting there. He's homeless. He mm-hmm. has no food. But you pass on that man and get to the next plane to Africa. And then mm-hmm. this, this is where sometimes I'm like, uh, I always want charity to begin at home. It's, it can be yeah. a very good thing because even back home, you're changing, you're changing a life. And also getting to understand that uh, Africa, um, people in Africa have also a set standard. Much as these young children can't um, go to a hospital in the U.S. and try to volunteer, it should it should be it shouldn't be different from Africa. Like, okay, they 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 there's so many sick children in Africa, and they need medical attention and we are bringing in these volunteers to help in a hospital with no skills no 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 i think this has to stop because it doesn't make us any difference and 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 the more we've seen these things happen on the african continent and the more harm we've we've seen happening the more dangerosity has become because young children grow up knowing that the best way someone can change a life is by coming to africa Mm. which is so wrong wrong it is yeah. really wrong. Start from home and then spread the love. Yeah. That's what I keep on saying. Yeah, yeah it is fails. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot about this um, kind of thing for the last, you know, travels really influenced me in the way that I see the world. And it's actually experiences I've had traveling that made me realize I was such a crappy local citizen. And then I'm kind of like, well, why? Why am I not getting involved locally? And I think one of the things exactly. that I've come to is one of the answers is that it's much harder to come to terms with that there are there's need in your own community that you're driving by every day that you, your kids go to school you're at the grocery store and there's people who who aren't at the grocery store because they don't have money there's people that are hungry their kids are going hungry home hungry every single night uh, school just started this week for some community schools you know there's when there's not school in session there's many kids in our community who don't have don't get enough food to eat but it's much easier to, in our minds to, to think like, wow, that's a problem that exists in Central, somewhere far away, Central America, South America, and, and some country uh, that's not in my community. I think it's easier for us to, to come to terms with that, and re- it kind of removes the guilt from us a little bit if, if we don't come to understand that there's that need in our own community. Um, but, you know, for me, travel has played such a mind-opening experience to to all of the all of the work that i do and so i mean i, I didn't it doesn't sound like you're like anti-travel i i think i might be anti-voluntourism right um but how do people come and experience um you know i've been so inspired by people that i've met then to come home and do work in my own community so how how can someone responsibly travel to Uganda and experience their, your, your, the work that you do or the work that's happening in, in your community? Or should people just not? Mm. Should people just like listen to? Uh, uh, well, I think I'm going to be um, fast. I think I love people visiting my country. If you're coming as a tourist, well, that is beautiful. 
that is so nice. Uganda yeah. is so beautiful. It has so many things that you know you need to see, and also um um but people coming in to see like the work we do on the ground. I feel that's not necessary because this is that that is one aspect of whiteness. Mm. You know because. Every time you do something in your community, you have to put it out there for the world to see. No, 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 no. I think this, um, in this era, we're not doing that. Just as most times people ask us, but why is it that the No White Savior work? Is it only on Instagram? We say, no, we have organizations that we partner with on the ground. But this time round, we don't want to show their work because that is not our work. That is the work for these organizations. They're individuals that can speak for themselves. And this is the, this is the white savior complex that we're trying to uh, break of, um, of standing in the front of everything. So for me as Olivia, I would encourage people to do the same in their communities because everyone can do it. If I can do it, then you can do it. We don't need to show, I mean, at this point in time, we, the world, we don't have that time to waste for people to travel in and then see, oh, Olivia is on the ground doing this. That is wasting time. Do that back home. Do that back home and let people, let your work speak volumes for you. And, um, but if it, it, but it, if it is working like with the organizations we partner with and you have a skill to offer them, that is absolutely fine. Yeah. Come and work with them. Listen to them. Because they know what the people want on the ground. But as for me, um, I wouldn't want to highlight my work to the world because I think this is not what I stand for. Um, I, and this is what I'm trying to advocate for, that everything good that you do in your community, you put out there, no, 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 no. No, I feel that I wouldn't want to do that. Um, I would want people to do this back home because I know I'm, I'm not so much like very, very much into faith person, but I know the Bible says that when this hand gives this, this other one shouldn't know. If you give someone something, the whole world shouldn't know that Olivia gave, um, gave a dress to somebody. No, we shouldn't be in because you're telling that person's story to the world. It is you. So for me, with people coming in to, um, to visit Uganda, it's very fine with me to um, partner with organizations that we're working with, with a set skill, a specific yeah. skill, like not to, yeah, th that, that is fine. But for me, like trying for people to come in and see the work that I'm doing on the ground, I, I feel that's not necessary at all. Yeah. Um, I feel people can do the same work back in the communities. Yeah. They don't need to waste those resources to come here. They can invest those resources in, um, in other things than coming to see just as an, you know, me as an individual. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm just reaching out to the community and um, that will be, uh, I don't want the, um, I don't want the praises. I want yep. the work to speak for itself. Yeah. So come as a tourist. And I have, I have a friend that's uh, big into like responsible tourism. I'm like, come as a tourist and, and, and um, patronize uh, businesses that are locally owned, right? Not like the, the hotel chain. Um, so that's one way. And then the other way would be to, if you come with a particular skill and have like Definitely. a long relationship with a nonprofit, that's good. Yeah. 
So yeah. I, I want to get into ha- your journey. Uh, so mm. you grew up in Jinja originally? Jinja. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so what was that? And I think you got into social work. And so what was, what was your journey like? Uh, well, my, my journey of growing up was um, quite interesting because I grew up in a town whereby um, there are so many white people. We'll see white people coming to school and you're, you're like on a school assembly lining up and singing and clapping. And, you know, these were people who came in with different games or something like that. And then when it got to the streets of Jinja, because I grew up in this town of Jinja, you would see white, white people moving with black children. But of course, we, being young, it was a bit traumatizing. I was like, okay, are these their parents? Are these their, mm-hmm. you know? And also in school, we had children that were in like orphanages and they'll tell us my uncle from the U.S. came and they brought me these sweets. So um, I really wanted to understand better as, as I was growing up to understand what um, these people are doing in my town because um, I was seeing them everywhere. But being a kid, mm, I knew, okay, just as I said, when you see a white person, you're like, oh, there should be sweets somewhere. They have brought something good. Wow. Christmas boxes and that kind of thing. So uh, my journey growing up, um, I, I want to say that I always, oh, I'm a very social person. And um, I talk to people, even, even in Ginger, people know me. I, move, I can't move like three steps from you know, <laughs> a different street without someone calling me. So I stand, talk to people. So that is my nature. Like, um, and I, I saw different reasons as to why I needed to get close to people. There were so many. I, I grew up seeing uh, broken families. I, I grew up seeing people drinking heavily. And I didn't you know. These were all reasons that um, made me want to do social work. But then I was like, how do I get close to people? How do I get to the, my community? And then the only way, um, as, I, as I grew up, I, um, I knew, as I grew up, I knew that uh, the only way I would get to um, the community was by going through school and mm. um, doing a course that will bring me next to what I wanted to do. So yep. I've been passionate about my social work. And, um, and this is how I ended up becoming a social worker, not, not because it's by mistake, or, um, or, but it's passion. It's something that I wanted to do. So, um, yeah. And, and why, were there, why are there so many, I, th- I think I have a, an idea, but why were there so many white people in Jinja? Uh, well, I think, first and foremost, Jinja is so beautiful. And um, white people love living along the Nile. I'm sorry, but that's, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, white people love... And you see, Ginger is a town that is really um, quiet. And yeah, it's, it's a town that's, that's quiet. And there's a lot of peace in Ginger. You can do anything, and it's cheap to live in Ginger. Money, your money doesn't go fast, so you can afford to like live by the Nile, have these five people walking around you, like the staff, which you can't afford in America, even like mm-hmm. one maid or something. But you have like this compound cleaner, 
the, the you know the guy who cooks for your dogs the guy you know that kind of thing so um uh, the standard of living in Jinder is not high so and also the Nile living in Jinder everyone wants to live in Jinder because it's a cool place mm-hmm. yeah yeah so then you went to school so you can get closer to the to the community and you studied social work yeah and so then yes, you and then you graduated mm. and then you started so yes. what did you do next uh well when i graduated at the um i i joined um i worked as a pa um in a big organization in a big organization in ginger that's um um, it's actually, it's, it's like a milling company, but this was not my work that I really wanted to do. But mm. because, um, most of the time for us here, it's different. What you go to school for, uh, you might not land on that job immediately. So you have to, uh, be flexible. So after that, I, I joined the NGO world and mm. this is where I met Kelsey Nelson. And also this is where. I now started understanding what, what it was like um, in the NGO world and what, um, and the few things, and the things that I saw that were not really good around the whole thing. So this is when I started waking up and saying, oh, okay, this, okay, this is trying to answer my questions when I was a kid. Why white people were so many ginger? Why I saw them moving with black children? You know, so I got like now the answers. I was trying to get the answers though I didn't get the answers fully at this point in time because I had not already, like, had not really interacted with, you know, like, colleagues working in the same sector. And, yeah, so there was, this was now, like, a stepping stone in learning on what happens in, in the NGO world. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, in Uganda in 2000, and I think, I think it was 2010, and I was yeah. doing a, kind of a global survey of the impacts of the financial crisis, like the global financial crisis. And yeah. one of the things I looked at, yeah. and I'm, I'm not, I look at everything I do, uh, like through the, through the lens of like no white savers and how this could be perceived or how this actually was too, right? <laughs> and so I was there looking at the, there had mm. been significant cuts to uh, PEPFAR, um, which provided... Um, uh, medicine for uh, patients living with HIV, and uh, that's what I was looking at in in Uganda. And um, when I was there, I had mm-hmm. a, um, a guy who worked as my translator, uh, as a student, um, and he was really having trouble finding work. So here he was, and like super talented, super smart. I think he had his master's, and like it was he was open to get into like with an NGO and he was like hired from some small jobs here and there. And that's kind of how I, I found him. But, um, you know, to see so much like, uh, um, you know, a quote that I hear is potential is universal and opportunity is not right. And Mm. so I, uh, to think about the potential that was in him and how smart and talented he was and how he struggled to find work. Is that something that you experience? Is something that you're, your friends colleagues experience you yeah uh, yeah i think um that is so true yes uh he was right on that um it's a struggle and it's it's um it's a chance when you move 
um, from university and you land on that job that you went to school for, I think that is uh, that is something that I call luck. It doesn't come that easy. So um, we, all people, all the youth have tried to um, to get flexible with this. Like if there's a, I did social work, but if there's a, a job somewhere that I can, you know, do and earn a living, then definitely I'll go for it. So it has not. Um, it was not only him. It was not only me. But it still happens because uh, uh, the population is growing so fast in our country, and also the jobs. Uh, we don't have so many jobs created for the youth, and you find that most of the jobs that are there um, are like um, different projects: go poultry, go farming, go carpentry, and and. Most of us will be like, mm, I didn't go to school to do that. Like, I went to school to be a lawyer or to be a, a teacher or that kind of thing. So, the, depending on the development in our countries, yes, that is happening. I won't um, rub that out. It happens every day, every single day. Even now, uh, the jobs, um, the youth or the graduates still need uh, space to fit in which is not there. And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. It is not there. So people end up um, picking on wrong, um, wrong jobs because they want to survive. They want to, um, and also the pressure when you come from school that I need to be independent. I need to work. I need to own my own apartment or probably um, a house or a car or, you know, some space that you call your own. So that really, yeah, it, it happens. I won't deny it's it's real. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. So I mean the the NGO must world must be kind of an industry there, right? So it has like this, um, you know, because I think that a lot of people can get jobs. Do you get any pushback for your criticism of NGOs? Like, hey, cut it out! Like, uh, I'm, I want to get a job uh, at this place. Oh, but you see, I want to be clear on this. Uh, Kelsey, very clear. Much as these NGOs come to Uganda or on the African continent to give us or to provide employment, we at the same time are providing them with employment. Where will these country directors or, you know, be getting all this yeah. huge payment? Yeah. So much true. as they, yes. And they, there's also positions that are created for white people in these organizations. Yeah. Yes. Would, yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so much as the NGO world is creating or has created employment, there's still so many gaps to fill in there. Because if, if I'm a social worker and I'm doing my work, and you bring in someone from, let me say, Canada or wherever, and they're social workers. What, what, what am I not doing? Like, I mean, I'm doing all my work. And you're paying that person like highly because you term them as an expatriate. That mm -hmm. is so dangerous. Because mm -hmm. in Uganda, when I go to a supermarket, I, there's nothing like a price for a foreign national uh, Ugandan. We, are all, mm. we all pay the same money. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. all go to school to uh, with the same goal and we study so it's it's not that um someone um 
the way they have put it in the NGO world, like people can try to um, get an excuse of paying themselves much a hundred times on Ugandans, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So much as the um, the NGO world has created employment, there's so many gaps that we need to fit. And in most cases, our people or we Ugandans or the African people will not stand up. Yeah. They will not stand up, Kelsey, because I, I need the job to feed my family. I need, I need the job to survive. I will not stand up and address this to my boss. Okay? Mm -hmm. Much as I feel there's something missing, I will not. And this is the biggest challenge we have right now, that people feel they're uncomfortable and they can't speak direct. So that is why we, th this platform is very important in the NGO sector. Because someone can pass there and send something and say, hey, look here, this is happening. And we're not going to disclose their name. But when we put it yeah. out there, you, the owners or founders of these organizations, when you read it, mm, yeah. uh -huh. you will come to think <laughs> of it. You'll be like, okay, maybe no, I save yours is somehow... Um, um, teaching something on what we need to change. So, yeah. So this platform is going to, is helping in situations like that. Are you, are you getting NGOs reaching out to you saying we want to do this better? Uh, exactly. There are some NGOs that have written to us and uh, we've met them. And there are also uh, those who, um, who are changing, but they will not, of course, Kelsey, come out and say that, no, I, I changed my organization because of no way service. No, 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 no. But we've got feedback from Ginger because um, I told you I grew up in Ginger. The people around Ginger, they're like, oh, you guys, your work is helping change a lot. The Ugandan staff are appreciated more. They are putting the light that they're doing the work. So such feedback cannot especially with the nature of our work, it can't come direct from someone. They will get reasons like, mm, I just changed, you know, the credit won't come back to us. But I think that is not what is important. Um, what is important is that it's actually changing. There's change. Change is being made somewhere. Yeah. Whether you don't acknowledge Snow White Savior is doing that, it's okay. Try to change yeah. things. Do it the right way. Yeah, so... so whether someone yes, just seeing like on Instagram, uh-oh, this one looks like me. You know what I mean? Like this, this, this situation of no white saverism. I see myself in that. I need to change. Exactly. Or, this is like my yes. organization. But then sometimes they oh. literally reach out to you and like, hey. They do. They oh. do because we've, I'm not going to mention the name of the person that we recently met. And he was very honest with what he told us. He said, you know what, you guys, at first when I saw your page, when I tried to read what you do, I unfollowed you immediately. <laughs> I wouldn't stand the pressure. And then we said, mm -hmm. then what happened after? He's like, I came to reflect on each and everything. I put myself in the best position I would ever sit in and started reflecting. I went back on my Instagram. I deleted everything that I felt was too um, that, I, that I felt was making everyone uncomfortable. But to me, that time I thought it was good. And he's mm. like, you guys, I, I honestly, I started following. We met face by face and said, I started following you. Um, I'm trying to do better. And we're like, okay, if they're yeah, people right. like that, <laughs> then wow. that, is, that is fine. So uh, we've had people actually write to us and they're honest and they're like, at first when I followed your page, I felt you're too hard. It was too much. I wouldn't handle that. 
But then later when I tried to um, sit down and um, think of my contribution in this, I started uh, processing, trying to learn every day, trying to... uh, um, trying to do better. Yeah. So we've, we've got a lot of feedback from people and <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I refer to the phrase all the time. I think it's your tagline on if you're, not, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not listening. Right. Exactly. And, and um, you know, I felt that I was told Kelsey in a, my, one of my mm. very first experiences out in the world doing the work that I do. So I, I travel around and go to other places and I write about people doing work in those places. And, and I, uh, try to share the stories of the of locals doing work in those places and, and showing the talent and and experience um, and grit and just the humanity that exists in all people all places. But still, I really question myself at times. And one of the very first people I met was in Bangladesh. She was acting as my translator, and mm. um, we were going to go talk with people who work in the garment industry. And she. Uh, said to me she said so let me get this right so you're talking to these people they're basically giving you their story and then you're going to go home you're going to write about it, and you're going to get paid about it you're going to get paid for it and I'm like oh like ouch like and that one still stinks you know what I mean and I just have to <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> it still yeah, stinks yeah, you know yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah, some exactly. there's at the bare bones of it that is an absolutely true statement and so I have to look inside of myself and like is it is this worth doing and why is it worth doing and how can I do this in a responsible way? And looking back at 15 years of work, I think sometimes I failed at being the most responsible I could. So that's why I really appreciate all of, all of your work because it, it does kind of slap you in the face, put you back in your heels and you're like, the reason that one, that, that one stings a little bit because it's true. <laughs> you know, that one's, that one's a, a little true. So what are some, yeah. um, what are some Ugandan-led organizations that you're most excited about right now? And um, there are around like four. I wouldn't want um, to speak out for them. Um, at a particular moment, they will come out and say, um, and speak for themselves, but we, we, we have them. And we, we, why do we focus on Ugandan-led organizations? Because most in most cases the organizations led by ugandans are viewed to be substandard which is wrong Mm. yeah which is wrong but that's that's what people view them to be they're substandard they they, i mean you you can't a ugandan you can't open up an organization where like in a place where there's so many organizations owned by white people, definitely your standard will be so low. It will not match the standard of other people. I've seen this with my, uh, with my team, other team member called Sharon. She opened up an organization in Jinja, but she was being fought every day by white people. Mm. Why? And mm. this was like a home, it's her hometown as well, but she was being fought for being substandard, for not being at this, you know, that standard where they want her to be. So um, that's the reason why we're focusing on uh, that. But again, just as we said, we didn't say no white people. Um, I want to say that we don't say that there's no work done by, good work done by organizations led by white people. No. But we are trying to get the focus. Yeah. The focus is on organizations led by Ugandans because we want, uh, we want them to be a voice. Mm. 
-hmm. We want Ugandans to be their own voice. Let a Ugandan speak for another Ugandan. That is fine. That's okay. But let not a white person speak and say, you know, what causes uh, uh, the, the, the problem in this community is that the, the people are drinking too much. This, you know, that it is way too hard for you to get in too deep in the cause of that drinking, being mm-hmm. like being a person who didn't grow up in that community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yes, and not knowing the people there. So that's, that is what we're trying to focus on at the moment. But then we want people to also know that we... We don't say they're not white-owned organizations that are good. No, 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 no. No, they're there. But our focus right now is on these organizations, is uh, lifting up in terms of leadership um, of these organizations and also to show that Ugandans have the potential or African people have the potential to do the work that you feel they can't do. And also to not only stop at uh, being employees, but they should be managers. They should manage these organizations because um, I'm, I'm very, very sure that we know the problems that our people experience on the ground more than a foreigner who has just come in because, uh, and this comes from my experience of work. Uh, When I went to the field, I would come back and give a report and said, this is what happened in the field, and we need this to... But in most cases, with the work that I did, I was supported, because they're like, oh, you know what is, what is best? What can we do? There was a lot of asking. But in most cases, as a social worker, when you come and report to your boss, who is white, and say, oh, we need this, they'll be like, no. Instead, they'll give you another option. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that happen. We've seen that happen, That's so right. yeah. Yes, I've seen that happen. They'll say, no, they don't, um, they, they actually, those people don't need this, they need that. So they put mm. in a position as you, who knows the community, as a person who um, actually has no idea of what they're doing or, or have no idea on, um, on what the community needs, yeah. which is wrong. So it's almost yeah. not just like, uh, I mean, you're almost mm. advocating for not just Ugandans uh, being there for Ugandans, but the a gin, I don't know what you call someone from Jinja. Jinjins being there from Jinjins, right? Like, I, yeah. I would not. I would not go. So, like for me, if I drive to a city where I've never been before and say, "Hey, Ooh. I'm here to help," like that's. I mean, what what do I know about helping, right? Because it's a yes, exactly different culture, different context, different groups, different people. Yeah. Uh, one of the things uh, that came to mind was there's something called the, the uh, I think it's called the World Giving Index or the Global Giving Index. And it talks about um, the most generous countries on the planet, right? Which is kind of a weird way to kind of put. But a couple of years ago, when I was researching my book, Where Am I Giving? Uh, the big story that year were, were all of the, um, it was like the headline, and I hate to use uh, Africa as a all-encompassing headline, but it, it said... The rise of African giving, right? The rise of many African countries were uh, had uh, climbed the list quite high. Uh, I think Kenya was like second or third on the list, and um, you know the U.S. is always in like the top five. Myanmar is really, <laughs> really up there high. But so there's a culture of generosity. Um, I'm sure in in Uganda as well. I, I don't remember exactly where they rank um, on this. Mm. But my question is, so you have Mm. Ugandan-led organizations and you have a lot of generous people. 
Um, but are they, are they, can they be Ugandan supported in terms of like financially or do, does mm. the Ugandan led organization uh, not able to get enough local support financially that they have to look outside for that support? Is there a Ugandan led well, and supported financially organizations? Mm, yeah, there, there, there is an organization that is called, is it, uh, I'm trying to forget the name. It's called uh, Le- Lucinda, Lucinda, it's, it's, it's funded within Uganda. And also, uh, Kelsey, what you need to understand is that um, uh, Ugandans owning organization is not something that has been common. It's just coming up. Mm. It, it is just coming up. And um, come way back, organizations, babies' homes were owned, most of them were owned by white people. Mm. Okay, so Ugandans who are getting into the system of um, opening up organizations are through are going through a process, you know, a process of um, um, of getting um, to know which ways they can fundraise in, and we've seen some organizations that fundraise um, locally. They are there, yeah. and and also um, Ugandan the organizations that. Um, fundraise internationally but then when we come to that i want you to know that um come to think of it who brought this whole idea of fundraising it was the white people so this is like um this is something that ugandans are copying Mm. that the best way to fundraise is through the western world okay Mm -hmm. and and it is also now our responsibility to let our people know that they can do this locally. They can uh, ask for donations within or around Uganda. And also, if, if, if they're to supplement, then uh, get from the outside world, but it shouldn't be the first thought. But this is what our people have been made to believe. Come yeah. to think about it. Every organization that is owned, uh, foreignly owned, has its fundraising back home the funds come from you know abroad so this this has been also another um system that has brought in because i was at a a discussion some time back and this white woman asked me a question she was like olivia you are talking about um um the fundraising and the pictures, but most of the people that we send to, uh, that we ask for funds want these pictures. Mm. Okay. What do we do? This was a question to me mm-hmm. that as a white woman, that's how they get their funding and the people who send in funding need such pictures. Then I said, talk to the people who send the funds that, um, Uganda or African people are tired of seeing this miserable picture of their children on the internet. If you're going to do that, can you use mail? Okay. And then I asked her that for all the 10 years you've been in this country, can't you show a different version in the photography? Like, what are you doing? What are you still doing here when you're showing pictures with no development? You know? There should be, a, the pictures should change, okay? Yep. And then she was like, but also Ugandans are using the same pictures. And I'm like, well, I am going to say this openly. This is what you have told us to do. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I'm to fundraise, I need to put out a miserable picture of a child to get money. 
Exactly. Yeah. Because this is what we've seen you people do. And we, our people now think it's the best way to go. Mm -hmm. It's the best way yeah, to go to get money. How do we responsibly market fundraising, right? There's a, a group, I don't know if you've heard of them, called Radiade. Have you heard yes, of the I'm, group? I'm, I'm, yes, they in, uh, uh, is it Canada? Are they in Australia they, or Canada? Uh, I think it's Norway. I think it's, I think it's Norway that they did a fundraiser oh. for, or they did a fake campaign where they were, uh, I forget what country it was, it was like Kenya, or, where they were telling the local people about, in Norway, how cold it got in Norway. And uh, how much money would you like to give to Norwegians so they can buy radiators to stay warm in the wintertime? And it is, look at that. They give away an award every year for bad, like, um, marketing in terms, like, you know, the pictures with, you know, the child that has a fly on its face. And, you know, uh, it's, it's fantastic. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link to it. But they're, they do Please. some amazing work. And they have, oh. a, they have a song, you know, like the uh, Heal the World or... Uh, they have they have a song where the Kenyans and I, I, maybe can't forget where like are singing a song about how cold it is in Norway and just I think that's like a really important thing when you just like flip it right when you when you just like look at it from the other perspective even when you're talking about fundraising and I'm sitting in Muncie Indiana right now and there's tons of local nonprofits here downtown and they would never go the look to another country to like fund they're very hyper local work you know what i mean and just how and yeah i know that there's a lot of reasons why th that is and, <laughs> yeah but like it's like you would never even think about it yeah so i find so, that uh, so people will always have uh this um to defend themselves and say well um masters you people are um, um, talking about organizations led by white people, but what of Ugandans doing the same thing? But let us start. Let us start from where it all started. Who brought these organizations? Who brings the nonprofit? And what, uh, um, what criteria are you use, using to fundraise in your organization? Yeah, Most yeah. of them use these pictures. So to our people, much as we are advocating... Uh, much as we are advocating, we are also cautioning our people. Yeah. Yes, we are. So, we are cautioning them, yes. So if, if um, I mean, I, I guess this might be counter to everything we're talking about, but like if, if listeners or if I want to support local organizations, like locally led organizations in Uganda and wherever, what do you think the best strategy is to find um, those organizations and support them? Uh, well, uh, first, I would, um, I would encourage that. That would be very nice if people wanted. Um, there are organizations online. There are organizations online, and um, we can put a list of those organizations that they can, they can uh, partner with and support. Two, uh, much as they would love to help, which I love so much, much as they would love to help, when you come in to help, ask people, yep. ask what they need, yep. ask what the people need, not what you want for them, but mm -hmm. ask them, in this yep. organization, what is the need? Then you go for it, because we've, uh, Kelsey, we've seen this happen so much where people come in, and 
don't ask us what we need as as Ugandans, but come in with a solution um, of knowing of knowing what we want. But in the actual sense, they don't. Mm. So that mm-hmm. that is that is what it's that is privilege at its best. Yeah, you know, you're using your privilege to you know what you you want the best for me according yeah. to your mindset. So people who are coming in to help, it's really good, uh, but they should be able to learn, should be able to, what, is, what does this organization want from me? And how can I be of help? You ask, ask what yeah, the people yeah. need, because at the end of the day, if you give your help where it is needed, it will be appreciated, I keep on saying. But if you send your help where you think, where yeah. you think, you know, it, it's different because people will be like, okay, she sent clothes, but we didn't need the clothes. Yeah. We, we needed cups, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you send, um, you send something where it is needed, it, even you, the person who has sent it, or even you, the person who has supported, it makes you feel proud in your heart. You said, this is what they, they wanted. This is what they needed. And I think they have it. So you, you're at peace with yourself. Then you, um, people asking that we need, um, okay, we need a water tank. In this place and you say no i don't think the water tank is what you need you need a solar panel mm. and then you gladly give in the so- but at the end of the day they won't say no they won't say no they'll be just okay fine but at the end of the day you're not you're not getting the need of these people yeah so uh we can uh, we shall put different organizations that you feel comfortable with and um people feel comfortable with partnering with and yeah. connect with them, talk yeah. to them. But the fact is, ask them what they need, yeah. what, what help they need from you. It is very important because at the end of the day, it doesn't go to waste. It yeah. doesn't go to waste at all. And you're contributing to their development. You're being, um, you're standing, you're contributing to the development, but you're not in that, like direct you yeah. know? But you are saying, I can help you people if you need a laptop. Yeah, well, have it. You're watching yeah. their growth. You're monitoring them grow. You're standing aside and giving them way to grow on their own, um, which is important. You know, I yeah. feel like there has been this shift in, in the non, in the NGO world and aid and, and development in terms of it used yeah. to be, hey, we're from the United States. Here's what you should do, right? And it has evolved. Or, hey, I'm white. I know what's, what to do. I mean, I've, had, I've been to places before where local people thought I was a doctor just because I was white, you know, and then I felt absolutely helpless because I have, you know, no, no skills, right? I mean, I, I write stories and, and try to get people to think about the world. That's my skill. And in that situation, when someone's dying of malaria, I am absolutely useless, right? So I feel like there has been this evolution of like, um, you know, we know what to do to working, working more with local people but I, I, after talking with you and, and thinking about it, it seems like this uh, maybe a, a new kind of involvement or new, new revolution of locally, not just uh, locals who work in those organizations, um, which I think has been like this movement towards that, but locally led and operated and run organizations. Mm. Do you feel like that's mm. a kind of a new revolution that's happening? Are you seeing this? From, uh, from other communities around the world that are reaching out to you and said, we're trying to do this too. Yeah, I mean, um, people have actually written to us as far as Haiti 
And um, in most cases, they're like, okay, you know what? We need another Norwich Saver chapter in Haiti. We need it in... But then in most cases, we're like, you know, you can open up that chapter. You can do it. And this is what we want. You can lead it in your community. You can use our work. You can share work. You can advocate for this in your community. This is what we want. This is what, what, what we want to see people doing this work themselves and trying to hold people, trying to hold these people accountable in their own communities. I think that is really important. So um, we've had, Kelsey, we have so many people write to us on a daily basis and someone says, I need, we should open up, guys, open up another chapter in um, and Somalia or somewhere. And we're like, no, 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 no. You can open this up. Yeah. Start by talking to people. Start by um, using our work. You can use our work. Tell them this is how it is done. Because at the end of the day, this is what we, we want to see. And... For, for sure, we don't want to be around like every place. Like, oh, so no, I say this has a branch in um, here. They, no, people should do this because this issue is, um, can be discussed by everyone. It affects everyone. It does. So it's everyone's responsibility at this point in time to start up a chapter like this at home. And, um, and also um, people, people like what we want to do in the future is that the organizations we are partnering with, we want them to um, speak for themselves in that process so that the rest of the world can see from them. Yeah. Other people from different areas can see and say, hey, we can locally manage our organizations. We can, we can locally um, do this. We can own up. We can also do if if Uganda has done it, then yeah. Kenya can. So yeah, we've had people write to us, which is not bad. Like trying to ask us to open up, but our advice will be the same. Please do this in your community and um, be your own ambassador. Be the No White Save ambassador in your community. So yeah. that's what we tell people um, most of the time. But yeah. we've had yeah. we, we we have people write to us, of course, on a daily basis. Yes. And, um, and so, what is the best way that we can support your work? We can follow uh, No White Saviors on Instagram. Oh, 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 what are some yes, other great you, ways that we can support you? Uh, well, we 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 have. I, I won't say we have a Patreon. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, a monthly Patreon. And um, this Patreon keeps us going, especially with um, getting our internet. On. Now I can speak to you because I have internet, so it's, it's expensive yeah. in Uganda. And also running out to the field to do different things. Yep. So that is yep. what, um, yeah. So we have a Patreon. We have a tree link on our Instagram. You can donate through PayPal, through Venom. So it is... Um, that amount that people donate to us helps us to push on with the work, to push on with this work. And um, in case we need to, like I'm going to the field. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I mean, this, this helps us to push the work. We all started with a passion, and this is the passion we're still moving with. So in case 
um, people have written to us, oh, can you please apply for big grants? Can we, can you do this with your platform? You can do that. But we're like, okay, we are taking, um, we're taking it step by step. Um, we are moving. We didn't know it would be this big for sure. We didn't yeah. know that I can tell you this um, shocks us every day. When we wake up, we're like, okay, in, in three days, we had like 2,000 people, you know, and we're like, okay, 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 fine, fine, fine. <laughs> so, so this is something that uh, is just growing, and that support keeps us going because we, um, our office space and that kind of thing. So it's, yeah. it just keeps us going with the work, yeah. Well, I think you're leading a really important conversation and getting people to ask really important questions of themselves, of the world, of different organizations, of, of how we do good in the world. And I, I think that the work is really worth supporting. And Thank I, I kind of feel like you're kind of on the front edge of, of a sort of revolution in terms of <laughs> how, how, we do, um, how we do aid and development, how we help people in our own communities. And, and so... Um, Anything else to leave leave us with? Anything else to add? Anything you wish I would have asked you? Yeah, I I think um, what I would say is that um, um, you people go in and get the stories um, um, of different people, and then um, and tell the world or. Um, let me hope or let me hope that these stories that you pick out from the people um, um, impact them. Like if Kelsey, you came and took my story as Olivia and you took it to the world, is this story impacting anyone in any part of the world? Is there someone sharing my story and becoming strong and moving forward in whatever they're doing or overcoming what they're experiencing? Are these stories um, uh, reaching to different people and making a different impact in their lives is very, very important. Um, because uh, in most cases we say, we, we tell our stories, but we don't know where they'll go, how far they'll go. Yeah. And yeah. And also sometimes we don't have the capacity, sometimes we don't have the resources for the world to hear our stories, but then the person who helps us take them out there um, um, should, um, should take them in the right channel. Like if I gave you my story, I'm sure that's what you guys do. You put it out there the way it is. And in most cases, we don't expect so much from this, but we want another person to to have a feel of what it is on what you've gone through on, um, on how we live, regardless of such stories, our life still continues. So um, I think you guys are also doing great work there because so many, so many of us cannot, don't have the capacity to, for stories to be heard. But if people use you as that um, source to deliver their stories, then um, endeavor so much to put them there the way they are the way they would love to listen to them. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and, and the way they won't get shocked when, when someone hears, oh, my story, Kelsey is telling my story and this is it, but this is how I want it to be. So let's try to endeavor to have that feeling back that um, 
I'm telling her Olivia's story, but it should be, this is what, how she wants it to be, not how I want it to be. Yeah, it's very yeah. important. You know, when I'm doing the work, I try to, uh, um, I try to communicate right up front kind of why I am there and, and, and how I'm going to share the story. And people yeah. can choose yes or no. And also, I know that sometimes people who choose, yes, I want to share my story, they still might not. Um, I'm thinking about a banana farmer in Costa Rica who has no internet, right? And is in this, this small village. He, he might really? not understand the repercussions that could come from him sharing his story. So then I have to decide, well, is this an anonymous story or is this? And, and okay. for me, it's really important. Um, and I've tried to do this from the very beginning to, I often think that when people write about experiences in uh, whether it's, you know, Costa Rica, banana farmer, Costa Rica, or a, a young man who's working on a farm in Ivory Coast as a cocoa farmer. Often we look at people as two-dimensional figures that should be pitied, right? Like their situation, like that's how, that's how they're, they're so often written about in newspapers and in magazines. And what, what I, what I try to do uh, when I'm at my best is try to, um, uh, paint them as as a fully realized human beings that they are just like just like everybody else, right? With uh, you know personalities and, and sense of humor and uh, hope for their family and their friends and their community and um, so that's what I that's what I try to do. I try to hold myself to that standard and and I, I mean your work uh, I think will help me hold myself to a, a higher standard. So uh, I really appreciate all that you do and. Um, looking forward to following your journey and so olivia you're good people thanks for coming on the podcast oh okay to you we might be good but some people some people say we're too extreme we're too radical we are too you know but um i appreciate the opportunity thank you guys so much and um i hope to every day i talk to different people all over the world that i don't know but um, hopefully, I know one time I'll have to meet you um, and, um, and Jay as well. And we can hold this discussion where I can see you people like physically. Yeah, it will be nice. And also maybe I want, these are just a few words that I want to leave to the people okay. listening to this yep. podcast that um, um, what you sh like, in most cases, what I, I want people on this podcast to understand that um, those who have never come to Africa, that Africa is very beautiful. It's a very beautiful continent. It has welcoming oh, humans. And um, what I want you to know is that whatever you can't do back home, please don't do it here. Don't do it in Africa or any other part of the world. If you know that Honestly, I can't do this back home. Don't do it anywhere in any part of the world because you might go and do it, but uh, time will catch up with you and you will sit in that one position and try to figure this out and it will be so big, but we still have time. Even me personally, I will be traveling to the United States in, in I think, two months to come. Oh, but great. what I can't, yes, but what I can't do here. I won't do it there. That's what I need to, that is, um, that is also paying respect to people who live wherever you've met them. 
And well, I think you, can, you personally can educate people everywhere, right? There's some things that do translate everywhere. And your message yeah. is, is one that people need to hear everywhere. Yeah, so people out there just know that if I can't do this at home, I won't do it in Uganda. If I can't move uh, on the streets of America randomly and I take a picture with a child, please don't do it in Africa. Please <laughs> yeah. don't. <laughs> please don't do that. You know, it won't, it, it's, it's different. The fact that these children can't speak for themselves doesn't take away their right to privacy. And um, what I want people to know that in, in this world, we're not perfect. We're not perfect, whether black or white. No one is perfect. And we're wrong every day. But let us try. Let us try to process where we've gone wrong. And let us acknowledge where things have really gone wrong. I know it is hard, but when you sit down and process it, you come up a free person with a free mind and you begin viewing things differently. So um, um, I've been happy on this podcast and to everyone listening. Um, I know this won't be the last one. I will definitely come back and do another one. And thank you for following our work. And I hate to say this, Kelsey, um, that we are changing lives. No, no, no. You will not hear that from me in any of the work that I do. We are not changing lives, but we are happy that our work is felt um, from every part of the world. Like our work is speaking volumes. I won't say we are changing lives. You guys, no one has the potential to change a life. It is an individual that decides to embark on this mm. journey of changing yeah. their own life. Yeah. So I'm happy that I've been part of it. I can't Great. wait to see the reviews. I can't yeah, wait to sure. um I can't wait to listen to it. And Kelsey and Jay, you've been lovely. Thank you for having me. I'm happy because um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for me to speak yeah. as a black woman. I appreciate you for um, getting time to really ask me and to take my views and to listen to me um, and to put me in consideration and to also make me feel that i'm needed on this podcast thank you very much yeah, great. so jay that was olivia where were you in the interview were you just like so filled with guilt you couldn't even ask uh, more than one i question? was i was so scared no i had to go work no. i had to i had to drop i couldn't i couldn't sit through the whole thing but uh, you just gotta i gotta have a better schedule i guess yeah we did go we did go a bit long but since since uh the interview wrapped up you've listened to yes the interview yep yeah. And so, what are your what are your thoughts? Uh, well, you know, she. Uh, I love the accent. First off, always do. It's fun to yeah. fun to listen to. I have a couple friends with the same accent. It's it's always a good time. Um, you know, I don't know. She said a lot of things that were. Uh, um, I don't know what they think. They were things I didn't know, but they were things that were very poignant to me. Um, her talking about locally led organizations, which is probably a pendulum that is swinging. Um, she uh, she talked about uh, the sort of mindset that even locals have uh, when she said, oh, here come some white people. They they probably have sweets, which I talked to a gentleman this week from Uganda, mm -hmm. 
And uh, he mentioned the same thing, that there's this de this dependency that starts to build just because it's Pavlovian, right? There's a there's a carload of white people that are showing up in the United States. They probably brought stuff. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, I've been on trips before. I haven't been on any, like, real missions trips. But I was shooting a documentary in Kenya. Right. And, um, you know, you hear people say, oh, take pencils. They like pencils. Or take some candies. And... You know, people would have stuff to give out, which is, again, the intention isn't bad. It's trying to be nice. But yeah. you're kind of painting every other white person in the same way and, right. and kind of teaching the locals to view everyone the same. Yeah. I just love she said sweets. Like, yeah. that's, we bring candy. <laughs> sounds like which so is, much more elegant. Uh, yeah, it sounds, it sounds terrible. Um, I think the thing that struck me the most was, and I've thought this for a long time, right? And you get into this debate. Well... Do you spend, you know, I should help people in our, in the Midwest. I should help people in the United States at least. And, um, and I've wondered that about the Catholic church, like the Catholic church seems to spend, now they, they do local stuff, but they seem to spend every parish is paired with some place outside the country. And they spend a lot of money and a lot of time going to all these other places. We've talked about it in, in some of the other episodes, but um, I, it struck me and the line I remember so clearly was she said, you will step, she said something like you'll step past a homeless person to get the first flight out to Africa. Mm. Hmm. And she said, they need the love too. Yeah. They need medicine. They need care. They need housing. Mm. And I thought, you know what? She's right. Uh, we, we do tend to look past those things. And I, I think we believe that. And I think, and it may come down to this, this, you know, lots of different motivations, but, um, and years of training by watching TV, right? Well, these people really need help. We got to go over there and help them. And there's probably some racism based in that too. But, um, kind of struck me that that was hit me when she said that you step over a homeless person to get on a plane. Yeah. Charity starts at home. That's one of the things that she said. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that we need to be more local citizens in that regard right excuse me <coughs> edit i might edit the cough <coughs> um yeah so so charity starts at home and she did say though if you started something and you're doing something at your own community um and that thing transfers over to other communities that's okay that's great yeah bring us the idea Tell us what she did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And I also like that she defined home as not just necessarily even your country. Like, you know, it's just the community that you exist in. What are you doing there? Yeah. And, and you know, and where am I giving? I kind of play around this idea of the, the giving, the good person equation. And volunteering is something that you should focus on where you live that makes uh, the most sense that's yeah. where you i'm doing it right now that's where you are <laughs> are you really no you're getting paid <laughs> oh, oh no <laughs> well, I, I haven't i haven't cashed the check yet it's i didn't know it would i didn't know it would work okay it's in, it's in karma <laughs> <laughs> trying to wash wash your keep corporate, going don't let me distract you trying to wash your corporate soul <laughs> oh god bring some bleach <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, so. No beer today either. <laughs> no. We're I'm just drinking, straight. I'm drinking the straight iced coffee. I'm drinking McAllister's tea too. Mm, I should have gone by the caffeinery some for, some, a bit. for some espresso. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> this is, we need the bloopers. Um, uh, local 
you're going to go local. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, volunteering community. You're so in. you do like yeah, you do volunteering in your own community, right? Because um, that's that's where you are. And and she says no short term mission trips. Just like she just said, stop doing short term mission trips. Yeah, come as a tourist, spend your dollars, but not volunteerism. No, just yeah, yep. yeah. Don't show up for a week and say, hey, I'm going to bring pencils. Now, the thing I think about in terms of our responsibility is as global and local citizens. So we're volunteering locally. If we have a special skill that can transfer to other communities and they could benefit from that, that's fine. But in terms of the dollars that we give, and this is something that we didn't get into a lot chatting with Olivia, but there's the whole a dollar for um, a person in need in Uganda might be able to be magnified by 100, can have 100 times the impact of that dollar to help a homeless person in your own community. Right. So yeah. some people argue that you shouldn't give at all locally because you're, this is the effective altruism argument mm-hmm. yeah. where it's your more responsibility to, to do the most good that you can. And your money could do much more good if it were spent and given and somewhere like Uganda. So the, so if you look at community as the human race in total, what, how much money was it to save a life? I remember from the book, $3,400. So $3,400 can save a life. Could $3,400 save a life in the United States? Probably not. No, probably not. So from a math standpoint to save as many human lives, despite country, well, that's probably a good point. And so I do think we should, I personally think that we should give locally too, because especially if you're volunteering and you're part of this community and giving should yeah. connect you yeah. to to people and to and causes. To build, and to build and, community, right, yeah. So I think it's important to give locally. So I, I wouldn't uh, fully agree with you should just give all of your money globally where it can be magnified by 100. Uh, I think we have these dual responsibilities. Um, yeah, but so one of the things I was hoping – that she would be able to offer up more guidance on was, well, who, what are some of the local, locally started organizations, uh, locally led organizations that we could consider giving to? Cause yeah. I kind of feel like that's the way that we can do the most good in Uganda. Fun, and, is funding. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Funding. Um, and, you know, she said that she wants them to tell their own stories and, those organizations to tell their own stories. Yeah, and you and, pressed on that wall a couple times just to see if it, if she had anything. Yeah. And I, I am wondering if it's, and I mentioned this, that if she's just, they're kind of on this leading, it's like the, a new shift that's happening in, in aid. So the foundations are being built. Maybe it's unfair to say, okay, tell us the organizations that are doing this successfully. Cause they don't have enough of a yeah. history. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or maybe they don't want the influence of that of those dollars either because yeah, it comes maybe. to certain strings attached because yeah. someone will say, Hey, I just gave you $10,000. I want to come and see your project. Yeah. And yeah. they're trying to, um, keep, con- keep control out of other people's hands. Yeah. And kind of change the views of the, of the Uganda people themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, she, she said this multiple times, like that she was taught white is right. Yeah, and so you could see why someone would take their child to Renee Bach. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, and, and I do. This is part of it, right? And I think uh, Kelsey talked about it too. But we have built this and ingrained 
they're being trained too. They're human beings, right? They're, we've, we've, Europeans and Westerners for a long time have done things that have taught them to expect certain things. Um, and she talked about that. Part of what she does is to go out to communities and say, stop, don't do that. You can do this yourself, build it yourself, learn the best from the world, but go out and do it locally, do it yourself, start your own organizations, create your own aid organizations. Um, because, um, and I, again, the gentleman I had dinner with this week, he said, yeah, there's a problem with dependency because we're just used to people showing up with things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets to be a cultural dependency. And I think a lot of Westerners that go and, and have these experiences don't realize that. Uh, I was in Kenya and I spent a night in, um, a slum community with, mm-hmm. uh, two brothers and a cousin, um, and with this family and um, just to kind of experience what that was like, which seems a little forced and it might be totally white savior-ish, mm. you know, still too. So I think there's some things I could unpack with that, especially looking through this lens. Right. But I kind of want to experience what their life was like. So I was like, well, what would you do today? Well, it's our turn to clean the community bathrooms and to sweep the floors and we have laundry to do today. So I'm trying to do laundry in a, um, uh, a bucket, a couple buckets of water and some soap in it and like a wa- no washing board, just like soap and rubbing. And, and uh, Thomas, one of the brothers, has to teach me how to do laundry and they have to teach me how to use this broom that I've never used before. And um, and, and James, who's his cousin, says, um, like, I, I thought white people were perfect. And like, you can't even sweep the floor. Like, you, you don't know what you're doing. Did like, you say my wife Annie does that? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I really oh, get myself in trouble I here. hope she does Thank not you. listen to this. Thanks for that, Jay. She probably won't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a simple example of, but white people know everything. And you don't even know how to do this? I mean, they've been trained somehow or their minds have been set in a way that they've been told that for a long time and that was kind of shocking to me yeah that you know i thought white people were perfect what yeah no not at all yeah that's crazy um one thing i'll share too is kind of links back to another episode we're just kind of all coming together is (laughs) for the uh, finale (laughs) uh, so we talk about effective altruism and kind of one of the founders of that is peter singer yeah and so just yesterday on instagram he shared a post uh, of um, of a, a woman named Stacy Dooley, who's like an act actress in England, who's famous, and she went to some African nation where she was uh, helping promote the Red Nose Day thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so she was there for photos with the kids, and she, so she's standing there, smiling, holding um, a child. And I forget the caption that she gave this on her Instagram. It was it wasn't. The, the most thought out. Right. Um, it was the caption that added fuel to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, Peter Singer, who I think a lot of, and thinks a lot of these issues and has gotten a lot of people engaged with fighting global poverty as effectively as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what he wrote, uh, with his post. So this is Peter Singer. Before we take a decision, like retiring the photos of white celebrities, helping, helping African children, we need to ask ourselves whether there is convincing evidence that such photos really do harm to anyone. Are they supposed to harm Africans who see them? If so, in what way? Would Africans who see such pictures really be more likely to feel that they lack power to change their own lives? 
I wonder if an occasional photo can make that much difference when Africans know better than we do what some of their friends and neighbors have been able to achieve and what they themselves are able to do. Hmm. So I mean, I think the world of Peter Singer, I wrote a whole book because of Peter Singer's work, but I feel like he's missing the boat on this one. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just reading it, white celebrities helping African children. She's just holding a kid. Right. Yeah. I what mean, are they, yeah. It's like a press tour. She's not, she might be inspiring donations, Maybe. which could be a good thing. I guess the red nose, that's what the red nose thing was, right? Yeah. But also just the fact that he wrote helping kind of is contributes to our view of that mm-hmm. white people need to help the African children. Yeah. Or anytime they're near them, they must be helping them. Yeah. By somehow just osmosis, good things are going on to the kids. And, and then the harm that could be done is how does that community view themselves and mm-hmm. the ability to help themselves? Right. Or do they feel like that they have to be dependent does on outsiders? Add, it adds to it. I, I, you know, I think, I really think that if you, if we take the context, the context is what matters here. And that's, I think the thing he's missing. And this is true in the United States too, because I'll use the United States as an example. There are, um, there are lines people cross. There are, Things people say that had slavery not existed so recently ago, and it's not long, as well as Jim Crow laws and everything else that continues to this day. If we were a thousand years in the future and those things were all, any aftershock from that was long since gone, some of these offensive things or some of these positioning or, um, you know, uh, public perception from pictures like that, they may not, they may not matter at all. But when you put them in context of colonialism, you put them in context with slavery, slavery across the world. Um, you put them in context with continuing racism and the sort of um, Western world um, taking advantage of and overriding some of these third world countries. With that context, some of the stuff really does matter. And yeah. then when you look at the dependencies and the the struggle that some of these countries have they need to start driving their own destiny and waiting and stop waiting for white saviors mm-hmm. in that context. It's bad too. Right. Mm-hmm. So when he asked, are Africans hurt by that? They might be, they yeah. might look at that picture and say, Oh, she was great. I can't wait till somebody else gets here. Maybe. Yeah. And I think that we don't have to ask the question ourselves. Are Africans hurt by that? We can actually listen to people like Olivia and have them, lead us on how we should think and feel and how we can help. Right. Well, I will say between this and two other events, I have talked to three Africans in the past month since Kelsey, the interview with the other Kelsey, and they've all agreed that the dependency thing is something that we have created and they continue to accept. Mm -hmm. And none of the three of them liked it. Hmm. Right. They all knew it was a problem for the people in Africa and the countries in Africa. Before talking to Olivia, I kind of thought the white savior complex was uh, just in one direction that we viewed ourselves as white saviors. Yeah. I think that's probably the epiphany of the whole thing. And then Olivia kind of there's another angle and then she's in communities could be in communities right now kind of helping untrain her friends and neighbors to not. White is not always right. Yeah. Well, maybe if there's maybe if there's one good thing coming out of our president right now, it's showing the world that white isn't always right. (laughs) Or orange. Orange doesn't matter. You can edit that if you want. (laughs) No, that's all right. 
It's true. I think most people listening to this podcast would probably agree with you. <laughs> well, most. Send your hate mail. Thanks for listening to the Good People Podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffrithcheyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world. Don't you cry with